This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? Oh, here's Gascoigne. Gascoigne can finish it here. Gascoigne, 2-0. Lampard. Brilliant. It was in. No. That surely crossed the line. Oh, oh. It's, in. it's so far in. Thanks very much, Seth Latter. Clean sheet, I call it. Is uh, is one of the most important things in in football. Nice to see you home, fans. Brilliant. Could it be five? Yes, it is! Paul Bowden to take it. Oh, and he's hit the crossbar! Gerard, it's Carroll! What a goal by the England striker! That's why he was brought in, and he's done the job. Saved! John Pickford! England on the brink! Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh it No! Wait, wait! Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin's World Cup Specials. I'm Chris Skull. Joining me, as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And hello, fellas, Scotty Sellers. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Thank you to Paul Kark of Hereford for that one. Uh, how are we? Let's. Well, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about how we are, are we? We're talking about how were we in the past with our with old World Cups, as promised. Uh, we've um, no one cares about this World Cup anymore. No one gives a fuck. I don't know. Some people do. Some people do care. Well, I fuck mean, them. I'm struggling. I, it's so weird. I feel like uh, this World Cup now is like an ex girlfriend I don't want to know about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, I, I hate the fact it's going on. I hate the fact. Yeah, I don't. The games I, just are to, I, I just want it to be over. I'll be honest I, with you. In my head, it is over. I haven't watched the games. I'm. I barely know who scores. Who scored? Apparently, Messi set up a really good goal. Haven't seen it. Yeah, I did actually. Well, I didn't. Argentina, Croatia. I couldn't face watching. It was still too raw. And then I found myself France, Morocco game last night, just constantly checking the score. So around sixty minutes, I was like. I'm just going to cave and watch it. And then through gritted teeth, saw the French go through. Oh, oh. God. Right, well, let, we've decided we're going to talk about Enough. three things to cheer us up today. Yeah, how bad the French have been historically. That'll cheer well, us up. Well, 2010, isn't it? And then also we're talking about our dream World Cup. And we're also discussing uh, the worst teams England have ever put out in a major tournament to make ourselves feel better about the current <laughs> one. But first, correspondence. <laughs> I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. 
It's uh, it's in my hands today. I wanted to start with an email from Robert Allman, who yeah. we, we discussed last time the, the fact that there's a new camera angle for penalty shootouts. He says, since Euro 2021, during penalty shootouts, the camera angle uses not the traditional camera in the gantry, but one directly yeah. behind the taker. Yeah. Peculiarly, penalties in normal time still seem to use the regular camera angle. They're, yeah, they're right. But he's right because the the, the, the England France game in this World Cup, well, that the makes total sense, of course, was in the gantry, but in the penalty That's shootout. Peculiar. But he said he did say. So Robert Orman says yes. I think uh, the the angle behind the goal gives a much better view of what taker what the taker is facing, how the keepers look, and you can see how the yeah, penalty is dispatched. However, he says this is in contrast with a dishonourable mention for Sky Sports Player Cam. Do you remember Player Cam? Oh yeah, where you could choose yeah, to spend fifteen minutes like- at a time. Just watching one player and not the actual game, which I recall was in use for far too many seasons than it should have been. It was that, rubbish, player cam. It was rubbish. It was so bad. And they'd have to, during the game, say who player cam had just switched to. Yeah. Do you ever do that, that at live football if the game's boring? I find it quite interesting to just focus on one player. Do you know, like, like do my, like a bit like player cam. But then you can always go <laughs> off it. Because like, <laughs> but it's quite interesting at live football to watch one player and see actually what they're just doing themselves, if you know what I mean, yeah. the whole time. But not enough. It's not for it's fifteen weird, minutes at a like, time. Yeah. And now uh, Stefan Everson is on player cam. So uh, if you want to go over to, and would it be a different chat? It'd be a red button, presumably, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would. I'd love to see the stats of that because surely no one was doing it. It's so no. rubbish. I, I did but, it. I did it once. I just remember. Just because you're just like interested to see what on earth is this like, and then you realise it, you, do, you don't get any sense of the game. It's harder player cam than it is in a stadium watching a player because you at least get a sense of the context of everything else. With player cam, it would zoom right into him, so you couldn't even yeah. really have the context of where he was on the pitch. It was so tight on that individual. I think um, there's also an interesting thing with like Sky is obviously about subscriptions. That is a Sky financial model. I wonder if it affected a subscription, if it sold any more subscriptions, the ability that you could do player cam. Yeah. It's interesting that actually, the subscriptions thing with Sky, because people consistently like complain about Michael Owen on BT Sport or complain about, I don't know, various commentators. Do you think the actual presentation of football affects the viewing figures or subscriptions at all? And I'm not talking about extra stuff like Premier League years or soccer box, but do you think anyone cares actually when it comes down to it who the host or the pundits are when they're buying their subscriptions? That's a great question. I suppose it engenders a loyalty to the brand. I like the Sky Pundits, so I I already have a... Were I someone who likes the Sky Pundits, I actually do like the Sky Pundits, it would engender that I have good feelings towards Sky Sports. I suppose that's what it does. So it's not... It's a bit like in advertising. It's, it's not brand. like... It's the brand. Yeah, it's brand rather than um, specifically driving you yeah. towards it. I, I always wonder what percentage of people actually tune in and pay attention to the build-up and the post-match. Jimmy, you know I, mean? I, I, I would reckon about 60 70%... It's just generally up there, but like a Premier League game, yeah. I reckon most people, 70%, are turning up three minutes before kickoff. How much time have you got on your hands? 
You know on Soccer Sunday, it was it called Super Sunday, when they're, they're in a fucking empty stadium. And yeah. you're like, that. so the game is that far away. The stadium isn't open yet. <laughs> How much time have you got on your hands if you're watching it at that point? But I think most people do what I do, which is that you just have it on in the background. If I know West Ham yeah. are playing at four and the coverage starts at two or something absurd, then I will just leave. I won't be watching, but it will be on. Yeah. Just hovering around. Do you want another one? This is a. Yep. I actually thought about this thought the other night, and uh, Adam Kay has emailed it in. Uh, what the, we'll, um, we'll get to the maths of it. Not, not the not the former doctor turned <laughs> author. Well, he's got a pretty good email address that suggests he is one of the first Adam Kays. Oh, but yeah. but he says, well, he says I was born in 1982. My middle name is Zico. After he was the player to score closest oh, wow. to me being born in the 1982 World oh, wow. Cup, which was a prearranged agreement with the family. Slightly dodged a bullet because the score before that was Wan Ufart. Um, Amazing. Anyway, main point. This Zico's is a good name. It is, yeah, Zico. Uh, and a good story. That's kind of what you want to have a middle name. Uh, main point. He says, England winning the World Cup in black and white and everything, very whole old hat, etc. But it was only 16 years before I was born, 1982. I ran this past mates who can't obviously do the maths, but Jesus, is there any, like, there's no way anyone born in 1982 would have thought that 1982 was just, 16 years before that was 1966. I, and I thought that the other day, I was like, 1966 is so close to like 82 in those early 80s. It feels... Yeah, well, I was 83, yeah. I was 19. I was 83, so. so there's only between 17 years before we were born. 17 years. It feels like... So it's the same distance to Euro, 2020, uh, Euro 2000 as 1966, my birth. But yeah. then, I suppose you don't remember your birth. So, really, your memories start in about 1988, which yeah. is 22 years away. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think... It feels to me that the post-war period from 50s to 90s, or maybe even just 80s, there's so much social change between the 50s and the 80s. I'd say the 80s and 90s are pretty similar if we're... If we're I know this isn't the podcast to say <laughs> that on, but I don't think it feels drastic change there. But there's so much change between the... And and the decades are so different to each other. The fifties, you could picture that. The sixties, yeah. the seventies, and the eighties. That all that that feels like a massive difference. Whereas, how different does twenty twenty two feel from two thousand two? Not drastically, I don't think. No, apart from core the rise of the, the mobile phone. But I'd say social attitudes and stuff and kind of fashions and stuff haven't drastically changed. Is that is that fair? Yeah. Or am I just living in a bubble because no. it's happening now? I think what's interesting as well about the 1966 World Cup is that it was only, uh, I think there's only like 16 teams in it. And I wonder to what extent it's a big deal. Like football in the six, like by 82, and I would say definitely by 1990, Football is a huge deal, but in '66, is it? Even though we won the World Cup, that, that's not many World Cups in either. How many World Cups have there been? Yeah, I don't 66? think. I think that's the other thing is I don't think people were taking the World Cup as seriously. No, at that point, so the 16 teams, and I remember reading something 
Jeff Hurst said, which is that, what well, did you do the day after the, you won the World Cup? <laughs> yeah. Probably went on about what it. You... That's what he's done every day since he won the World Cup. <laughs> but the day after the World Cup, he said that he just washed his car. Yeah. So, And I think that really gives a sense of what it really meant. Do you know what I mean? Although it's a big deal now that we won the Cup in 66, the day after, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Michael, do you agree with those two theories? That a, it didn't matter, and B, time has slowed? Two quite different theories. <laughs> I, I 100% agree with the time has slowed thing. I think we touched on it before, but sort of post... From the point of 2002 onwards, my sort of memory or the way my brain processes football gets increasingly kind of blurry. I have to really struggle to remember who yeah. won which World Cup and where it was set, and I often mistake moments and teams. Then prior to that, obviously it's your formative years, it's almost crystal clear because there are these kind of markers yeah. in my life in these moments. So I think it definitely does. In terms of it not mattering back then, yeah, that's fascinating. I never thought of that before. You know, was the World Cup in the UK something like the kind of the World's Fair, where it was a bit of a sort of an event, but actually outside of football fans, did it did it matter? You know, had England not won that World Cup, what would the relationship of this country be with football in the subsequent years, decades, and, and even now? I think it's similar to more minor sports that England have won the World Cup and we've made it matter. But for instance, the Cricket World Cup, which we won in 2019, I think. I think if Pakistan had won that, no one would have mentioned it because England won, it became quite a big thing. Or, well, it, a good example of that is because women's football is growing rather than being where the men's game is, the women's Euros became a huge thing because England won it. But that's probably a similar situation in that it, it's a growing sport. So had England gone out in the, in the group stage, it probably it wouldn't have registered nearly as much with the public. I'd say it's one of those things. I wonder if it, the England women winning the Euros was actually a bigger deal than England winning the World Cup in 66. Well, if in we've got any listeners coverage. that were... I mean, we don't have many old listeners, I doubt. If we've got any listeners that were alive in 1966, could you compare the experience of England winning the Euros this summer and England winning the World Cup in 1966? I'd love to know uh, what the difference was experientially. Well, if you were alive for 66 and 2022, do get in touch, or if you have other reasons, this is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, uh, so we're going to talk about three things today. We're going to start by talking about the worst times. And actually, it felt when we were, uh, that France have had at the World Cup, uh, but it felt like this was um, something I needed to do four or five days ago. I've already completely got over the fact that France have knocked us out. So this now feels quite, I'm just quite interested in bad times the French national team have had. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, it's not soothing a wound anymore. Um, I actually don't mind France, but there we go. Um, how do you, where do you want to start, Chris? Well, should we start with an email from yeah. Richard McNaughton? This yeah. is a great thing. I didn't know this, what I'm about to tell you. Um, okay. Obviously, 2010, the France implosion is synonymous with Raymond Dominic, but actually, uh, Richard's email told me something I didn't know. Richard says, loves the podcast. Uh, he says his parents are English, but he's born and raised in France. And he says, I have no idea if what I'm writing about is common knowledge in the UK, but Dominic, before the infamous bus incident, had already made the headlines following France's early elimination from Euro 2008 with one of the cringiest television moments ever. After a goalless draw with Romania and a thrashing by the Netherlands, France needed to beat Italy to make it to the knockouts. They ended up losing to Italy. Dominic had played no part in France's successful 2006 World Cup, having been sidelined by Zidane and co and the team basically managed itself this was the first time he actually was in charge of the team as the old guard was out and the performance obviously was very poor from a France team in the post-match interview Dominic was asked what he would like to say to the people who were asking for his sacking his reply was as follows I only have one project now to marry Estelle so it is today that I am proposing I know it is difficult but it is in moments like this that we need everyone and I need her the interviewer amazingly glossed over that answer and moved on, but for viewers, that was not the end of it. The Estelle he asked to marry was a famous sports journalist called Estelle Denis, who was presenting the post-match analysis oh, show yes, for the Euros please. on French television. Yes, so please. after the proposal, there was an ad break, and everyone was waiting for the next programme to come on to see if she was going to say yes. The show started, and she proceeded to ignore completely what had just occurred and decided oh, to ignore the proposal. <laughs> this is unbelievable the whole thing was not mentioned once and they never got married in an interview years oh later Dominic God. went on to admit it was a mistake because she gives yeah, great importance to separating her private and professional life what a fucking idiot oh my god do you know what I, uh, before this email I was going to say that it felt like Dominic was harshly done by in 2010 but I, I've been reading up on Raymond Dominic the fact he was France, man, I could he I suppose he kind of worked his way into being the French manager by surprise, a bit like Gareth Southgate, really, the kind of the under twenty ones route. I've read some incredible things about him. So obviously, one of the things I think maybe a lot of people know about him is he was incredibly into horoscopes. Are you aware of this? <laughs> no, he was not. See, see, I. I... I've consciously not done any research on this topic because I thought right. all three of us are going to be doing the same research no, in the same well, place. So I've come, I'm coming in excitingly 
cold. I don't remember oh, right. anything about this so period. So he, he was a bit of a... Um, he was an eccentric. And one of the things, which was really the only thing I did remember about him, so it was the first thing I Googled, was that he was into... He was heavily, and still is, into horoscopes and um, astrology. And there was a rumour that he denied that he dropped Robert Pires for being a Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> But I, it's, I mean, he's denied that. But so he'd get all the players' horoscopes done and stuff like that. He got promoted via the French FA thing. But then I think, I might be wrong, but I think, like, that, that doesn't discredit you. I think Amy Jacquet might have come through that route as well. Like, and obviously, yeah, what, Gareth Southgate and all that route is... is is fine. Yeah. But he did it for a long he did it for a long time. He was France under twenty one managed for well, eleven years. He got to years. the final in two thousand six, so that bought him, I suppose, some years, right? Right. Cause you've got to the, the a quite a bad team to the final. Yeah. It's difficult to sack someone. I suppose they could have sacked him after two thousand eight. Two thousand ten is his classic period, which of course started with um and maybe, you know, they wish this hadn't happened now. But they qualified, obviously, via beating Ireland when Thierry Henry handled the ball. Yes. Yeah. Cheeky. Yeah. So that What was, a sliding doors moment that is. So that was a, a two-legged tie against Ireland. At they France won 1-0 at Croke Park. And incredibly, Ireland won 1-0 in Paris, I suppose it must have been. And um, it went to extra time. And Henri handled the ball, setting up William Gallas to score the winner, which would obviously not have been given via VAR now. And Ireland wanted the game replayed. And I think, I'm right in saying, Ireland ended up just getting paid some money by FIFA as a kind of make-weight. They got given some money to kind of make up for it and to just kind of basically shut them up, I suppose. I don't know. Wow. Is that, have, you, have you heard this before? That's no, true. I didn't know that. I didn't know that France. So FIFA gave them money. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, that's so weird, isn't it? It's like an admission of guilt. Really, he hasn't broken a rule because the rule is the ref has blown. If the ref hasn't blown, then that was the rule. There's not a foul. Do you know what I mean? If you yeah, make sense. yeah, yeah. And then they go to 2010, and he sends home Anelka or the French FA, the FFF. Uh, send home Anelka, and off the back of that, all the players. Do you know on. why they sent home Anelka? No. So it was um, half time. They like, they lost their first game oh, yeah, in their yeah, twenty ten no World Cup to Mexico. Yeah, they're half time, and Anelka says to Dominic, "Go fuck yourself, you son of a whore." That feels like a really French insult, doesn't it? Yeah. Like they're always calling each other sons of whores. But for the video we've seen, like. I thought that's like what happens in a dressing room. Yeah, like that's that's all the time, isn't it? And also, I bet Owen Elka saying that under his breath. Yeah, but, I do um, know, yeah. But the the issue, the reason why he got booed out was not necessarily because of that insult. It was the fact that Anelka refused to apologise. Right. Okay. That yeah. Dominic Dominic demanded an apology, yeah. and Anelka didn't give one. Which you can so you get sent imagine home, Anelka. And then yeah. at training the next day, they all. It's filmed, isn't it, training, which is incredible. 
that it's an open training session and all the players refuse to train. They go and sit on the bus and they close the yeah. curtains on the bus. That's quite a nice detail of it. <laughs> well, they actually, when they arrived at the training from where they got out and they, they signed loads of autographs and then Patrice Evra had a, a row with the fitness coach because the fitness coach, he, he told the fitness coach, we're not training today. It's not happening. And then the, him and the fitness coach got in a big argument and then they, then they all get on the bus. So there's even more drama and yeah. nonsense before they get back on the bus and close the curtains. That yeah. is so, it's so embarrassing for a nation. It's a is World it, Cup. Though? I think it would be <sighs> utterly thrilling if that happened with the England squad. Do you not think? Like, you- I just, the you know, you know, the, like the popcorn uh, gif. Like, it would be like so... Yeah. Exciting. I wouldn't I wouldn't be humiliated to be English. I'd be like, I can't read enough about this. <laughs> but do you know what? Like, I think it's in a weird way, you would think that would be quite bonding, wouldn't you? Like if the if the players are up in arms and they're all united around this, then surely that's gonna lead to good performances because they're all gonna be together. But that twenty ten World Cup is an absolute disaster for France. I don't think yeah. they win a game, do they? I think they get no, one point. They lose it. to Mexico, lose to South Africa. Um so it, it it's it's terrible. Yeah. Like you in that in this situation it flips on its head and you're like, I blame the players here. Why do you miss that as an England fan? That we have average we've we had years of average to crap World Cups or not qualifying. We never really had a what's the word you use that you like? A implosion. Um, we never had an implosion, which I think's a shame. I I'd prefer to have the highs and lows to the kind of constant okays yeah the closest implosion is probably graham taylor isn't it but the interesting thing that we've discussed before about the the implosion of not qualifying for 94 is that it even after a spate of bad results it gets to the san marino game and there's still a chance yeah it's actually even though it's an implosion it's a very light one because even at the end it's there's still a chance we can qualify having really yeah. cocked it all up i don't think there's an imp- i don't think i and is this is this the case the thing that is missing from the English mentality that means we never win tournaments is also the thing that leads to an implosion. It's the thing that gives you your edge. Because, you know, France would implode. Brazil, I'd say, imploded when they lost 7-1, in a way. Yeah. You know, Italy, they've got classic implosion written all over them, haven't they? Is it like what Noel Gallagher says about Oasis, which is that they're like a, a Ferrari that looks amazing and goes really fast, but every now and again it'll spin out of control? Exactly. And that's actually, is that what you want from a yeah. a football team? Michael? You, you want it to look amazing and but delicate, fragile emotionally. What do you yeah, think of that theory? I think that's, that's really interesting. It's I've never thought, again, never thought of that before. Maybe there's something about the kind of English sensibility to do with, you know, the stiff upper lip, lip. Yeah. you know, keeping it in-house, the pride, the dignity that means, yeah, that is that a variable? And when it goes wrong, it does go horribly wrong. But would you give, you know, would you sacrifice a couple of England tournament performances or a couple of implosions for a World Cup win? Yeah, because the implosions are more exciting. I'd rather we didn't implode in with such sort of lack of dignity. I don't think they should not play. They should not train because I think they're professionals and you just get on with it. I think you can keep those politics, you know, as much as possible inside the dressing room. I don't think it's anything is kind of pronounced during a World Cup. You're just effectively saying we're going out of this World Cup. Yeah. And I think I think probably all of those players look back with a sense of regret. 
Yeah. But that kind of seasoning in the personalities of the players and the squads that makes them win in the same way that, you know, any sense of injustice, the French riot, they pick it. They don't stand for it. Whereas we sort of go, oh, yeah, that's a shame. And then nothing really happens. So maybe maybe you need <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, God. Well, there we go. That's that's a great way. But it's interesting, like, our greatest success. If you think about, did Gaza bring that quality in 1990? Was he the factor, the kind of, the, the, the brilliant genius, overly emotional? That was what England needed. Did England always need a player like that to really reach their levels? No, because I don't think that was our greatest achievement. I think we stumbled to the semi-finals with four quite bad performances, like, <laughs> and two good ones. One of which was the defeat in the semi-final. I, actually, the best we've done is under Gareth Southgate, which is solid and dependable and professional. So, and look at France now; they're not imploding anytime soon. Did you know, you know what I read that really annoyed me? That Mbappe could win two World Cups before he's twenty-three. And there's yeah. something about that that really annoys me. Yeah, but think how much it annoys Neymar. <laughs> Shall we talk about England? Shall we go through our worst ever England teams then, seeing as we kind of brought it back to yeah. England? Can I just, just before we depart from uh, France, there's one uh, stat that someone says, so Stuart Ellery sent this in, and it, it is astounding. France finished third in the 1986 World Cup, but then they didn't qualify for 1990 or 1994. They didn't need to qualify in 1998 because they were hosts, and then they won, which means they didn't need to qualify for 2002, which means between 1986 and 2006, France didn't qualify or have to qualify for a World Cup for 20 years. That's amazing. That is a great bit of information. That's that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Stuart Ellery, thank you for that email. Amazing. Brilliant. Um, what's your worst ever England team that they've put out? Shall I start? Yes. Okay. I've gone back to Euro 92, England versus Sweden. I looked at all the games from Euro 92. He actually changed it up quite a lot. And I've got to say, like Alan Shearer started the first game in Euro 92. But by the final game, absolutely. Listen to this team. Okay, this is the England team that went out against Sweden. Compare this to our current team. Playing 4-5-1. Chris Woods in goal. Stuart Pearce at left-back? Fair enough. Des Walker at centre-back, who's probably not in his prime, let's be honest. Martin Keown as your other centre-back. David Batty at right-back. Also on the right flank, Tony Daly, right midfield. Central midfield of Neil Webb, Colton Palmer and David Platt. Andy Sinton on the left wing. And then Gary Lineker up front on his own, which I would say doesn't really suit his game. And your subs are Alan Smith and Paul Merson. That's only two years after Italia 90. And only four years between Euro, before Euro 96, which both are star-studded squads. Yeah, the big red flag for me is always if a player at a major tournament is playing out of position yeah you're in trouble why is david batty at right back what has gone wrong there (laughs) yeah that's incredible isn't it david batty neil webb colton palmer andy sinton and tony daly and martin keown i mean martin keown's good i suppose but like chris woods in goal i think i have to do well to find a team at a world cup if you name these i'll name you these players i'd say haven't had successful england careers chris woods I'll, I'll let you off with Des Walker and Stuart Pearce. Oh, well, obviously not Stuart Pearce. 
David Batty, Martin Keown, Tony Daly, Neil Webb, Colton Palmer, Andy Sinton, Platt, Lineker and Pierce, and Des Walker are the only ones you could really say have had successful England careers there. Seven. Yeah. Batty, yeah. maybe, you could say had a successful England career. I wouldn't say you remember Ugh. his greatest moment as a success. How has that happened between two incredible teams and tournaments? I was just going to say, the interesting thing with England is like, sometimes you look at a, at a classic lineup and you think like, what is that player doing there? But then you lose sight of the fact that that player at the time was seen as a really bright young thing. Like Andy Sinton at the time might have felt like a really exciting young player as opposed to the washed up yeah. bloke I remember at QPR. Yes. And, and England kind of, England historic England teams put a lens over that a little yes, bit. Yes, that's a good point. Like if Tony Daly had proved to be brilliant you know yeah at that point no one knew Tony Daly was going to turn out to be rubbish yeah exactly it's an incredible team okay what have you got Skull so I've gone for I've gone for recent memory really yeah uh, one of the worst days might have been an England fan in recent times the 2014 World Cup the final group game Uruguay 2 England 1 Luis Suarez scored the middle scored group twice game. final group game no middle crashed group game out. was it middle group game but yeah, this we the, lost our the first two games. Yeah, we lost Italy and Uruguay, and then we played out a boring draw against... Oh, uh, right. Uh, yeah, because Cost- this meant we were out, didn't it, basically, yeah. this game. So I just thought, i just kind of gone for this team, really. So up front, Dean Sturridge. Dean Sturridge, that is a bad... That is a I bad mean, that would, have been, that would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> Some of his I goals think- at Derby were incredible. The, the thing with Sturridge at this stage is this was the season I remember being quite excited about this England team purely off the back of this was the season when Liverpool almost won the league off Daniel Sturridge and Raheem Sterling and Steven Gerrard being really good this was Daniel Sturridge's peak but I will admit that is that's a small thing to say Wayne Rooney off on the left as as Wayne Rooney himself said he was not up front yeah but behind Sturridge Danny Welbeck which I've never understood. Ne- right, never. Yeah. He's, he's brilliant when he plays against West Ham, but the rest of the time, Bright, I think Brighton is his level. Yeah. Raheem, a young Raheem Sterling. Okay, fine. The How many strikers have they got on? Four. So they've got like kind of one up front and then kind of an Three attacking around. midfielder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dan- Danny Welbeck's your number 10? Or is number Danny Welbeck out yeah, wide and Raheem he- Sterling's your number 10, maybe? No, Raheem Sterling's out wide, Wayne Rooney's out wide, and Dan- Dan- Danny Welbeck's behind uh, Sturridge. Oh, how bizarre. The midfield, admittedly, I think is fine. Which Steven Gerrard, cracking on a bit age-wise, and Jordan Henderson, fine. That's a good but the defend, The defence and the goalkeeper is where it falls apart in hindsight. So at left-back, Leighton Baines. Wow! And then wow. the central defensive pairing, Phil Jagielka and Gary Cahill. Wow! How did I, how did I ever go into that World Cup thinking... I think, the, I think something. the front six is quite good, or the front seven, or whatever it is, is quite good. Kind Henderson and Gerrard, Sterling, Ro- I mean Rooney out of position, Sturridge, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, okay. And, who's uh, and then back? right back, right back, Glenn Johnson, who oh, by now, back four is by now, else, isn't it? in twenty fourteen, has absolutely lost whatever he had. Yeah. And then has there been a fall, a fall from grace faster than Joe Hart in goal? Wow, yeah. At the time, Joe Hart felt like one of the leaders of yeah. this England team. And since, there was that one decision that Guardiola made was like, actually, I don't think you're good enough. And next thing yeah, you know, is it Burnley. Mad. It's mad. So you look at that team, I just saw in retrospect, the, the, ben- the bench is just 
Jack Wilshire, Frank Lampard. Yeah. If there's a problem in defence, if Yagielka or Cahill gets injured, don't worry, we'll bring on Chris Smalling. Wow. Uh, ben Foster, Oxlade Chamberlain, Phil Jones, James Milner. Oh, this is a striker who came on late on in the game to change change it when we were behind. Ricky Lambert. Oh, wow. That is Adam Lallana, else. Ross Barkley, Fraser Forster, Luke Shaw on the bench. I don't think it's as bad. But is you it? Think? I think, because I think it's a team of two. Oh, I don't know. What do you think, Michael? Which I, I, team would you... Go on, Michael, yeah. Which team would you field? Well, this, this is quite telling because the England team that I've picked is the same tournament but the Costa Rica game, the game after. Oh. <laughs> so, so all the same players in the different... Uh, sort of variation because I think obviously we were yeah. out yeah we've gone by that point so he's probably given some players some, some minutes oh, but I yeah. think that that first 11 for the Costa Rica game is I think it's worse than the team that goal has just picked okay. and I know they are getting played some of them just to give them a World Cup cap but you look at the bench for this Costa Rica game it's Sterling it's Gerard, it's Rooney you think oh blimey we must be really great as an 11 yeah. if those three players aren't playing up front, Sturridge, same. Behind yeah. Sturridge, Barkley. You've got Milner on one side, Lallana on the other, Lampard and Wiltshire in the middle of the park. Oh. The defence is a joke. Luke Shaw, okay, decent back then. Yeah. Young, up and coming. Decent Centre now. Centre backs, decent now, yeah. Cahill and Smalling. In goal, <laughs> Foster, right back, Phil Jones. Fuck. That is, I think Lampard aside, there isn't a single player in this eleven that like you said Josh has had a good England career like it's it's madness that yeah. squad that we went into that World Cup with any sense of optimism yeah it's, you know, it's almost petulance isn't it from Hodgson there it's almost like well I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put any old t- I'm like I'll, I'll drop you all because you all let me down I'll no, put no, these no, people I, I, like- I think he's not done that no I think he's done a oh we're out let's give the people a runner I think I, I don't think he's done a I'll show you I think he's done a think no, this is a third-place playoff situation, isn't it? <laughs> the Roy Hodgson era is fucking atrocious. G- G- like, what's so mad bad. about what's mad about this Costa uh, Rica did game? Is three like, we cra- tournaments. Is, we we nil nil with Costa Rica at the end here. We crash out. This is a this is pretty close to an implosion, actually. How has he given another roll of the dice two years later? Yeah, and we go out to Iceland. That, isn't it? How did no one know at this point he had to go? Why on earth did we keep him on? Well, I think it's because we were in such a bad group, like uh, so, like such a tough group. Do you remember this was the group that when it was drawn, Greg Dyke, who was head of the FA, kind of uh, got caught on camera, putting a, the, the knife slit across his throat kind of uh, <laughs> mime to his mate. Like, this is Italy and Uruguay. That was the problem, because Uruguay were great. Um, and I think us and Italy both went out of this group incredibly. I think you're throwing around the word implosion too much, Skull. Just just losing a load no, of games, think? isn't it? Yeah. You're just doing badly. It, it needs to have Sticking a human for your boy factor. Hodgson again. It needs to have a human factor to it. And I think this was okay. just we were outclassed. Um, well, there we go. I think there's an argument that 2012 would have been another real... 2012's got to be the forgotten tournament, hasn't it? I could tell you so little about us in two, Euro 2012, apart from Andy Carroll scored, which says it all. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hodgson era. Thank God we lost to Iceland, because in a way, it was the least dramatic era as well. At least Steve McLaren was like, went out in qualifying. And at least 
Fabio Capello, we lost 4-1 to Germany. If the Hodgson era is six of the most forgettable years of England English football <laughs> you could ever imagine. It, it, the mad or thing about the Hodgson era is it starts bad and gets worse. Well, he's given a pass, it's, isn't he, on that first one because he gets the job just before the World Cup or the Euros. It is, it is such a forgettable, awful era. Well, let's cheer ourselves up with the, uh, with the greatest... We chose our dream World Cups. These are the things we're each been asked to provide. Location, number of teams of format, era of kits, uh, host and pundits, mascot. You've got to come up with a mascot. Uh, who sings the official song and a rule change and old and past players, maybe. I don't know. So, Skull, you go first. Okay. So, location-wise, it has to be Germany or England. Am I allowed to have it in England? You can have it in England. I'll have it in England, thank you very much. And if I didn't, if I wasn't allowed to have it in England, it really bugged me doing this because you realise like how many people have had the World Cup twice since we've had it. Yeah. Like USA are about to have it twice. Anyway, that's a different point. So it's hosted in England. Number of teams and format. I, I want it exactly as it is now. I think yeah. thirty-two teams, yeah. the exact same format. However, that said, as we established uh, in the previous episode, I'm I don't mind us playing around with the format next World Cup, but I'm quite happy with how it is at the minute. Era of kits, I reckon we're all going to say the same thing on this. I've gone for 1990. I think it's the best era for kits. How many of those designs are classic kits that you see yeah, all yeah, the time? I think it's the best. When it comes to the coverage, here's, here's my team. Anchor, Des Lynham. Correct. Pundits, Jimmy Hill. Yes! Even though I didn't like, even though yes. I didn't like Jimmy Hill at the time, yeah. I look back and think he was great. So yeah. I want Jimmy Hill back. Alongside him, camera pans, it's Bobby Robson. Bobby Robson? Just, Bobby Robson. ITV's, ITV's coverage around 98, I thought, was really good. Bobby Robson was on it. Was he? Uh, yeah. yeah. I've gone for... Well, I, next, the next three, I think, are, are interchangeable. How many are you going for? Well, so Jimmy Hill was always there. Bobby Robson's every other day. And they've got another three. These, these are on rotation. Marcel Desailly, Martin O'Neill and Patrick Vieira. I think I've, you do need people who have won a World Cup. I've gone Martin O'Neill. I love Martin O'Neill. Martin O'Neill's good value. Yeah, really I good thought value. he was great. Okay. Um, and then mask, mascot, I think if it's in England, it has to be Lion-O, you know, a lion. It has right. to be a lion. Yeah. And then if I'm allowed one player from from previous World Cups to turn up and, and amaze us all, I'm going with Diego Maradona. Michael? Uh, I've gone in a very different direction. Oh. Um, I'm really going to shake things up with the next World Cup or this Dream World Cup in that my location is the world. It's the whole world. Oh. <laughs> it's called the World Cup. Now, I'm going to make it exactly that. It's the FA Cup, but the World Cup. It's a Whoa. head-to-head knockout cup tournament. Now, I haven't quite worked out precisely how many teams 64? are going to be in it. Maybe even more because the volume of games. Yeah, because you need the volume of games because a lot of teams that for that first round they're only going to play once. Yeah, and they're going to go, so it's going to be split. So let's arbitrarily say it's 128. Can I ask? Uh, are you going to seed it, or is it going to be? No, it oh. is completely random. And my logic oh. is, you know, the European Cup it had the decency to re- to rebrand as a Champions League because there was a league structure. So yeah. I'm going to go the other way rather than call it the World League because it's yeah. not shit, I'm going to make it a cup. So it's going to be an unseeded, every single round unseeded, totally drawn Great. out of, you know, a bowl. Two teams, 
winner goes through second one's eliminated now if you're drawn first as the home team your opposing nation has to come to you they have to fly to you to your country play in your home stadium so everyone's got this kind of like mad little mini world cup going on that builds momentum yeah. as your team goes on uh but just imagine imagine that tv broadcast of the draw like every yeah. however many days and how often and everyone's is this like, happening over a month i mean i haven't worked out the mechanics but yes probably um yeah. i think it would be an absolute nightmare and would never be played out that way again but i think for just one world cup <laughs> yeah, one dream right. world cup one sort of mad cheese dream of a world cup that would be fun uh era of kits yeah same i think 88 to 92 i went for yeah i'd like to see a lot of those classic adidas and a return of uh properly a uh, hummel on the world stage yes um, well, yeah i don't know if you saw the denmark kits this year they were a sort yeah. of a throwback to that lovely design classics um hosts and pundits Des Lynham, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Um, no, no second choice there. I'd also put Martin O'Neill because I thought he was yeah. brilliant, but I actually I oh, crossed really? him out. He's popular, yeah, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he was great. He was always he great. Was but I, cro- I, I crossed him out at the last minute and I, I went in a different direction. And what I thought would be fun is to have Saint and Greavesy, <laughs> but, but, but they're your Pit. only two pundits and they have to watch every minute <laughs> of every game in a sort of almost like a, a kind of um, charity, like pundit-a-thon. And yeah. They're in some kind of Dallas bunker, and as the tournament goes on, they just sort of increasingly unravel mentally, psychologically, uh, physically. So it's a sort of almost like a Big Brother type experiment with the, the pundits. Uh, mascot, uh, I've gone for. Uh, I'm calling this FIFA Stein's monster, and uh, you know that game where sort of like a parlor game where someone draws a part of a human and then you fold it down and then the person draws the next bit and you fold yeah. it and at the end you reveal it I'm going to do that with a mascot but uh, a set number of countries are kind of allocated a piece oh, of the, the mascot but but the thing that you draw the thing you connect to it it has to have some kind of cultural relevance yeah. to your country so you know you might have a, a burrito for a head you know, yeah, yeah. a bulldog for a right <laughs> arm yeah and whoever is the guy that built and designed Chow is responsible for the actual nice. physics and, and mechanics. Nice. Really good. Really good. Uh, song. I think I just went for Bruce Springsteen because I wanted to see him play out. Oh, that's good, yeah. I, well, I toyed with the idea of running parallel to it, sort of um, at half time, each nation would have their person they bring out, almost like Eurovision. So if, let's just say it's kind of England, Iceland. Yeah. They have a sing-off at half time, and then whoever wins that sing-off by public vote goes through... I thought, oh, that would be great. And then I quickly realised England could win the game and Bjork could win the contest. <laughs> and then what happens? Does Bjork represent England? Yeah, or that's, all the yeah, singers that's, go that's, in? That's, that's like, a no, problem. That, that just doesn't work. That's, that's a massive format issue. Um, do you want mine quickly? So, country. Do you know what I'm going to go for? Because I wanted a country where I thought, I don't want all the stadiums to look the same. Do you know what I mean? And I, I want a passion for football and I want a country that hasn't hosted it much. I've gone Argentina. Oh, Because I think that would be... I think that 78 World Cup, for all its issues, uh, it looks great. All the ticker tape and the, the stadiums in Argentina. Whenever you see, like, River Plate versus Boca, it looks... Those stadiums look really, like, um, different to other stadiums. And also they love football. Number of teams, 32, format, classic. Era of kits, I've gone slightly earlier. So I've gone like 84 to 86 because I love that Denmark kit. But also in that period, you have teams that they almost 
barely bothered with kits. Like Argentina's kit is just their colours with the, the logo of the sportswear company and their badge on it. It's almost like a PE kit. So I think it's just a bit more rough and ready, but mainly for the Hummel. Host and pundits, Lynham, full house. Martin O'Neill, obviously. Uh, Ian Wright. Yeah. I love Ian Wright for an England game. He's incredible. He's so enthusiastic. And then I think you've got to have the good foreign pundit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which was begun by Hullet. But I'm going to go with, um, who was really good for a World Cup, they had Leonardo on the BBC. And he was great. Oh, wow, yeah, yes. yeah, he was great, wasn't he? I remember him. Yeah. He was really good. I think he became awful as a human being because like, he's all part of the PSG project <laughs> and he seemed to not be a good guy. But who cares? And do you know what about Leonardo? It's so exotic, isn't it? Like when they yeah. got him. It's so, like, I love, it's like, how have they got Leonardo? Yeah. It was real shocking. And then uh, mascot. I suppose a steak would be quite good for Argentina. Like a talking steak. Because that's, if you think about Argentina, that's what you'd go with, isn't it? A steak. Or a cow. That would you go with? A cow, yeah. I think a talking steak with legs and like a knife and fork in his arms. And a football, maybe. I think that'd be nice. Official song. I think Diana Ross has got unfinished business with the World Cup. They've got to bring her back at the opening ceremony of the next World Cup, haven't they? Yeah. Although she'll probably be 90. She's going to be even worse shape than she was in 94. She just did Glastonbury. <laughs> That's true. She can take a penalty. She just did Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there we go. I'd, I'd enjoy all of those tournaments a lot. Yeah. Um, it's been a joy to research France, England, and um, and dream tournaments. We'll be back yeah. with another episode uh, in a couple of days uh, where we'll cover a few more topics that will make you feel good about the World Cup again. Yeah. That's it for this week. Samuel Eto, time to go. Thank you for Jim in Hull. <laughs> Send in your terrible uh, outros to hello at quicklykevin.com. Go, Lance! Hit Lance! Hit Lance over the top! This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.